Okay, oh, now wait. we have to behave. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> okay, the story begins. We are on Morning Blessings, Part C. Third part of the Morning Blessings. It's page six of the Blue Chabad Sitter. Blessing number five. Let's read it in English first, yeah? Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who clothes the naked. So we're going through these series of a little bit more than a dozen blessings, thanking God for various things. And for this one, we're thanking God for clothing the naked. The traditional custom, the age-old custom, was to recite these blessings as they became relevant. So as one would get dressed, they would actually recite this blessing. The tradition later became in... um, certainly in the Chabad world as well as in the Sephardic world, was to recite all these blessings at home pretty much first thing in the morning, you know, after you're dressed and everything. In Ashkenaz communities, many Ashkenaz communities, they recite these blessings in shul. At the time, they didn't have enough sitters, so that became their tradition. But I don't believe anybody has the tradition at this point to recite the blessings as they become relevant. I think they're all just cited together at once. Thank you, God, for clothing. (laughs) It, it, it's interesting how in all of these blessings, we're thanking God for such basic things. There's simple things that get overlooked. How many of us thank God for clothing, for being dressed? But, but, but here's the question. Why is that a big deal? You know, look at the other blessings. I have a heart or a mind or a rooster. I have the ability to understand the difference between day and night. I have an internal clock. I have the ability to see. God opens the eyes of the blind, releases the bound, straightens the bound. I have a posture. These are more uh, physiological things. Clothing is a, is a possession. And we do thank God for possessions, but there, there's something that stands out with this blessing. What is this whole idea of clothing? You know who invented clothing, by the way? You're muted. <laughs> Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve invented clothing. Well, well, yeah, pretty much Adam and Eve, right? Adam and Eve used to be naked. That used to be socially accessible, uh, accessible, acceptable. Not the same thing. That, <laughs> that used to be socially acceptable because why not? Why would you be dressed? Animals were created. They weren't clothed. Humans were created. They weren't clothed. It's very unnatural to be dressed. You're not born dressed. At what point did Adam and Eve get dressed? When they got cold. Not exactly. (laughs) exactly. When they they became aware. When they became aware, right? Um, they, They didn't have enough time to be cold because the sin took place within their first couple of hours of their existence. Um, Still daytime. It was right before Shabbos, which means it was it was still in the daytime. It wasn't even night yet, right? They went through. They went for the sin. They went for that piece of fruit. Never right. Whenever your wife tells you have a piece of fruit, you wanna you wanna uh, <laughs> give it some second thoughts. They went for that piece of fruit. They went for the tree of knowledge. They indulged in the sin. They became aware that uh, that they were naked. They became aware of their bodies. 
And all of a sudden it became, there was this internal shame that they've developed and they bequeathed. So all of humankind, humans have shame, right? Um, animals don't have shame. So we're thanking God for clothing the naked. What are we really thanking him for? Thank you for our internal shame. Is this shame that Adam and Eve developed good or bad? I mean, it was kind of a punishment, or I, I, I should say rather a consequence. The consequence of indulging is self-realization, self-actualization. Um, they didn't notice they were naked. It's not that there was, it was, there was no, they just lived. They just lived their life, right? Like drunk, like drunk people. Drunk people aren't self-aware, right? Noah tried rectifying and fixing the sin that Adam and Eve did. Adam and Eve became self-aware. They became naked. Uh, they became aware that they were naked. And from then on, um, for the next 10 generations, society went downhill, became corrupt, indulged further in their animal soul pleasures to the point that by the time Noah came around 10 generations later, God said, this is enough. we got to destroy the world. we got to start over. Noah get into that ark. And then a short 120 years later, <laughs> that ark was from Ikea, right? A short, <laughs> a short 120 years later, God brings a flood. What's the first thing Noah does when he gets out of that ark? He gets drunk. He gets drunk, right? He says, let's try to not be self-aware like Adam and Eve did. Okay, it doesn't work. It doesn't work that way. You can't use external stimulants. And we, we, we can't, uh, the, the problem is there. We got to embrace it. And at this point, we don't try to fight the shame. We embrace the shame. Noah tried fighting the shame. He was punished. We embrace the shame and we do that every morning. Thank you, God, for clothing the naked. Thank you for giving us the need for clothing. So there is an advantage. There is some sort of gain from the sin that we got. Shame. Shame is a beautiful thing. Why is shame beautiful? Or let, let, me, let me rephrase the question. Why is self-awareness beautiful? The self-awareness that Adam and Eve originally did not have. Let me rephrase the question one more time. It's the same question. I'm just different words, different terminology. They ate from the tree of knowledge. They became knowledgeable. They became aware. They've internalized. Knowledge means internalization. They've internalized their own selves. That was a consequence from sin. But we choose to embrace it as a good thing. And why is that good? Well, I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going down the right path here, but I, I would say that, that self-awareness leads to um, having to make choices, good or bad, right. um, that, you know, comes along with, uh, you know, uh, free will. Um, right. But it actually leads, leads me to a question related to the whole Tanya class, which is um, when, the, when, when did the concept of the uh, divine soul um, <clears throat> really come come to being compared with the animal soul right because before they before adam and eve were self-aware uh was there only the divine soul i i, 
I don't mean right. to derail the discussion, but it, it yeah, just no, no, comes it's a good to question. mind right now. Right? Good question. The good question. The 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 short answer is that self awareness is synonymous with the animal soul. Pretty much on on some level of being being more uh, internalizing the self. That's really what the animal soul is. I'm self aware, not aware of my purpose, my mission, what I'm all about. I'm aware of how I'm what how I feel and what gives me pleasure, what makes me comfortable. Prior to Adam and Eve's sin, there was no, there was just right and wrong, true and false. Now, there's not just right and wrong, true and false, there's comfortable and uncomfortable. And this makes things whole very confusing because what is right might not be comfortable and what is wrong might be comfortable. And now everything's all confused, right? That, that's pretty much what the animal souls introduced. And, and, and that was, again, a result of their, of their sin. Yet, we choose to embrace it. We thank God for it. I'll tell you a story. Right before we moved out here, about three, a little over three years ago, we moved here in the summer, in August. So in July, I was at a conference, a JLI conference, learning all the trade secrets. We were, we were learning a lot about marketing. Am I supposed to be exposing all this? I don't know. They're going to they're gonna like <laughs> find me. No, I'm kidding. Um, we learned a lot about marketing. It, it's fascinating because you become a rabbi and you think you're going to teach Torah and that's going to, all of a sudden you have to deal with all this marketing. That's like 75% of the job is marketing. <laughs> I didn't know that. <laughs> Did not know that because that was not part of our rabbinical ordination. Um, anyways. <laughs> They had this professional marketer talk to us. They had different marketers coming from different email, uh, different angles. One taught how to send emails, how to choose subject lines, choose ones that are catchy but don't sound like spam. You know all these different things. And he he asked a question. I forgot what his question was. Something to the effect of, "What should your reaction be?" When, um, when you, when somebody, when people don't open your emails or whatever it is, or people don't respond or people don't, you know, when, when you're not getting bites, so to speak. So somebody said, should you not take it personally? Don't take it personally. Move on. So he said, I would argue to the contrary. Take it personally. You care. This matters to you. Because if you don't care and it doesn't matter to you and you're not taking it personally, if you don't care, why should they care? <laughs> right? You should care. Get offended. I'm not, I, don't, I mean that facetiously. I mean that with a grain of salt. Don't actually get offended. But if you don't open my email, I won't be offended. I'm not trying to say that. Don't worry. That's not the point. But, but, but the point is you, you care because it matters. There's a comfortable and there's an uncomfortable, thanks to Adam and Eve's sin. There's not just a right and a wrong. Which means that which is right has the ability to become a part of us, internalized, to become comfortable. Because we have internal shame, that's a result of self-awareness, self-actualization, the tree of knowledge. We have the ability to internalize things, take things personally, which can be very good. 
could be very bad. It's a double-edged sword. And, and that goes back to the free choice that you were talking about, Mike. It goes back to the incredible responsibility that we have. Our natural um, drive toward ourself, our drive, drive toward pleasure, drive toward comfort, our sensory uh, pleasure, which is really what the animal soul is. It's passionate about what it could um, emotionally or tangibly on some level, whether it be emotionally, tangibly, but not just spiritually or metaphysically, what it can actually experience. That can distract us from God, or that can make God really real. That can make God sensory. That can make our soul sensory. And for that, we thank God. Thank you for clothing the naked. Thank you for making this need for internal shame so we can now internalize as much ability as we have for shame. We have that same ability for, what's the opposite of shame? That ability for um, internalizing, I guess, pride, if you will, or comfort, internalization. Make sense? There's another explanation as to what clothing the naked mean. What means in Tanya, in chapter four of Tanya, we referred to the soul. In, in the beginning of Tanya, we talked about the soul structure. Before understanding the rival between the two souls, the animal soul, the divine soul, in order for that rivalry between the two to be meaningful, we have to understand the soul structure. And we said every soul is comprised of the soul itself and its garments. The soul itself, meaning its intellect and emotions. Its ability to somehow sense uh, intellectually or emotionally. Ability to perceive, that's the soul itself. And then there's the garments of the soul. Thought, speech, and action. Which will simplify as behavior. Because thoughts are a behavior. You choose what you think about. You choose what you say. You choose what you do. So the divine soul itself would be its ability to um, intellectually appreciate God, to be passionate about God, its garments, its behavior, what it does for God, Torah and mitzvahs, right? And if a soul is passionate about God, if we are feeling good about our Judaism, we're feeling good about our relationship with God, that's a good thing. Or on an intellectual level, I appreciate God. But I don't do a mitzvah. It doesn't motivate action. I'm naked. I'm naked. Right? So we wake up in the morning. We've said moda'ani. We've thanked God for the soul. We've conceded that there is that our soul can appreciate more than what our mind can understand. We did the netilat yadayim. We've tempered our soul's emotions with water, which is the wisdom. We've appreciated how this fits in the body, the blessing of Asher Yatz. We've recited the blessing of Elokai Neshama on the bottom of page five, describing how the soul is pure 
the perspective that the soul has still remains on some level while in the body. We've gone into these blessings. The soul has the understanding, the ability to understand and distinguish between day and night, good and bad. It has the ability to not only understand this, but to see it. Opens the eyes of the blind. We can feel liberated, releases the bound. The bound. We can be uh, straightens the bowed. Our mind is always on top. The soul's in control. And now we say, God, you clothe the naked. Not only do I experience and appreciate you after all this, but you give me opportunity to embrace this with mitzvahs that's the clothing mitzvahs are like clothing you know why mitzvahs are like clothing by the way because they fit they they look they they mitzvahs are not referred to as a house houses also encompass you you can walk out of the house right clothing go with you because they're a part of you god you gave us mitzvahs like clothing I'm not just passionate about you, but you gave me the mitzvahs and they fit like clothing. They're like a part of me. This is a part of my life. It's not an imposition. It's not something I have to do. It's something I get to do. Look quickly at page 41. This blessing should be familiar. It's the blessing right before the Shema prayer. One of my favorite blessings, by the way. So in this second paragraph on the page one two three four five six seven seven lines from the second paragraph the sentence starts with our father do you see it our father merciful father who is compassionate have mercy on us and grant our heart understanding to comprehend and discern to perceive to learn, to teach, to observe, to practice, to fill the teachings of the Torah with love. Okay, this is the part that I wanted to get to. Enlighten our eyes in your Torah, right? We, we sing this, right? Enlighten our eyes in your Torah. And here's the part I wanted to get to. Cause our hearts to cleave to your commandments. Because they're like clothing, they fit. It's a good fit. It's like a glove. Our hearts just want this. Thank you, God, for clothing the naked. I'm not just a soul that's passionate. I could do something with that passion. I can act on it. That's a satisfying relationship. Okay, before we move on to the next blessing, any questions, thoughts, comments, controversy? We're good? Okay, amazing. Okay, take a look at the next one. Blessed are you, Lord, our God, King of the universe, who gives strength to the weary. God gives strength to the tired, to the weary. Okay, the literal, simple meaning. You go to sleep tired, you wake up energized. You give God a tired soul, and he returns back to you a refreshed soul. Imagine you got your soul back in the morning exactly how you gave it to God. We call that waking up on the wrong side of the bed, and it's horrible. <laughs> That's when you pull out the diet coke as soon as you need, as soon as you wake up. Yeah, one of those things, right? Uh, <laughs> but we we thank God for giving us our soul back better than the condition we returned because we're just we were just wiped. 
in 19... 1974, the Lubavitcher Rebbe was told a story in one of his talks about a famed Hasidic personality, Rebbe Shmuel Levitin. Rebbe Shmuel Levitin unfortunately spent time in communist Russia in prison because he did the crime of Judaism. That's illegal. And he spent time in prison. He was a young boy at the time. I don't know how old he was, but he was relatively young at the time. And the story goes is he was praying. They didn't give him a sitter there. He had to pray from memory. And he was very frustrated. Because in the Hebrew, if you take a look at the word Hebrew, at the Hebrew words, at the last three lines, he wasn't sure is the word Ya'ef or Ayef. Is the Yud before the Ayin? Or is the Yud after the Ayin? His memory didn't serve him 100% correct. and he, It means the same thing. The translation is the same. Ayef or Ya'ef. Um, tired. It means tired. God gives the tired soul strength, uh, or the tired person strength. And he wasn't sure which one it was. And he was frustrated. I think he even wrote a letter to the Rebbe at the time. And the Rebbe marveled at him like, wow, you're in prison. You're trying to pray from memory. And that's what's bothering you? Am I pronouncing the word properly? Am I connecting properly? As our ancestors did while in prison. Amazing. It really is amazing. The, the, the Rebbe was so taken aback by this and was so inspired by this. But there's a deeper explanation. It's not just that in the morning I'm tired and thank you, God, for giving me some energy. Thank you for that Red Bull. Thank you for that Diet Coke or for the iced coffee. Or I'm just going, I actually don't like Red Bull, but whatever. You know. There's a deeper explanation. We don't just mean tired in the physiological sense, but also in the uh, spiritual sense. God gives us strength. Spiritual strength. How often do we feel spiritually tired? Not as interested or passionate as we would like to be, as we were feeling on Yom Kippur when we were at Naila and Shul singing, you know what I mean? We're not feeling the same way. We're not feeling it in the same way. I'm tired. I'm burnt out. You know, it's just not, it's not working. Well, we say every single morning, God, you are the one that gives us strength. How do we get this strength? How do we tap in? So I'll I'll tell you something fascinating. I just learned this today. I loved it. These blessings, every one of these blessings are, you know, the the beginning of the blessings are all the same, but the last couple words are all different. Where are those words taken from? They're all taken from biblical sources. The blessings were established by the sages, by Ezra and his court, and, and perhaps some rabbis in some later generations, pretty much in the Talmud era. But the words are taken from biblical sources. And this is actually taken from Isaiah. I, I, w- I wish I would have printed out... 
I'm going to share my screen here. Hold on. Just be patient with me because I actually want, I wasn't going to show this at the original thing, but I, I want to show it on the screen because I think this is just fascinating. To see what Isaiah says in the context, you'll, you'll see that it, the, the words are, have been changed a little bit to fit the context of the blessing, but it's still pretty similar. I'm going to show you the verse in one second. Hold on. Okay. Um, can, yeah, can you guys see? This is from Isaiah chapter 40, verse 29 through 31. We'll read through the three verses. Look in the Hebrew. No sein layaif koyach, pretty much the same words. He gives strength to the weary, fresh vigor to the spent. This is Isaiah's prophecy. We, and, and the sages later have incorporated it into a blessing, thanking God. But here's the next part of the verse, of the sequence. Youths may grow faint and weary, and young men may stumble and fall. Which means, where does strength come from? Usually, if you're young, you're thought as a, uh, of as being strong. And if you're old, you're, you know, your strength is gone. But you do have youth that are not so strong. You do have elderly that are relatively strong. So where does real strength come from? But they who trust in the Lord shall renew their strength. So where does strength really come from? True strength. Trust. Um, I, I, I'll be honest. This translation is not 100% correct. The Hebrew word is koveh. Koveh Hashem. The way you say trust is betachon. The way you say hope is koveh, tikva. Tikva means hope. Those who hope in God, that's where strength comes from. Are you saying vikoveh or vikoyeh? Koveh. Hold on, let's go back. Did I read it wrong? Hold on. Uh, I was running about Co- pronunciation too. Kove. Because that that it's a, those two dots should be under the vav. Oh. Which and and one word can't one letter can't have two vowels. One, and maybe it's koye. Maybe I'm reading it wrong. One word, look. one word can't have two vowels. One word can't have two vowels. No, let me let me let me look at a different book because maybe I'm hold on. Maybe it's koye. Either way, the word is the same. I mean, you can't have two vowels next to each other. No, no, one one word can't one, yeah, one so, word so can't if, be serviced by two vowels. Well, you mean one? Uh, letter. Sorry, sorry, one letter, one, not one. One letter, letter yeah. Sorry. Oh, so, so the that, O couldn't have an A, you know, an A sound underneath it. Ah. Otherwise, yeah. So it's forced to be above. But you might be right. That might be under the U. I can't really tell with this print. Where is the dot on top? Over the above. Yeah, so that wouldn't be Vicoye. I thought it was Vicoye, but maybe maybe I'll learn a, where, a new lesson here. You, no, you might be right. Hold on. Well, that that no, dot Vicoye. Like, 
The, yeah, it's a mistake. It's so those two dots under the yud. Yeah, they ray that should be under the vav. And so also, the dotted top looks like it's slightly to the right of the vav. Exactly. Exactly. So, so it's so, punctuating so the kuf. Okay, I was, was going to say that dot belongs with the kuf. Exactly. Uh, okay, so everything's kind of skewed in in this. Uh, yeah, it's uh, not a good print. print. Yeah. Okay. Got it's it. Not a good print. But it, it should be Viko Vikove. But okay. the, the the Hebrew word is it comes from the word tikva, which means hope. Where does so in this same verse where this blessing is extracted from, God gives strength to the weary, strength to the weak. Well, where does the strength come from? From our hope. Our hope in God. Um, we, we, we had a similar idea in Tanya in chapter 26. The idea that strength it doesn't just come from, uh, is not just physiological, but spiritual. We gave the analogy of the two people wrestling, right? And we said, who does the victory go to? Not necessarily the stronger one, but the more motivated one. The one who has alacrity. And we explained how alacrity comes from joy, comes from being worry-free. Alacrity comes from having an open heart, having faith. We explained the different ways to get that alacrity, to get that motivation. But bottom line, strength comes from motivation. And we're saying a similar idea over here. Where does straight, or we said we applied that to winning the eight Sahara. You want to win the eight Sahara. You want to prevail over the animal soul, the evil inclination, the negative impulse or drive. Well, we got to be motivated. It's not enough to be strong. The soul is strong, but we got to be motivated. So, where does strength come from, though? Where does this motivation come from? We have to have trust in God. We have to have hope in God. God has to be the center of our hopes. If you take the first three letters of Hanoten Layaef Kawach, this is a teaching from the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tani. He says the first, the three letters of Hanoten Layaef Kawach, the first three letters of each of each word. He who gives strength to the weak or to the tired. Those are an acronym for another uh, biblical verse. Hodu Lahashem Kitov. Thank God because he is good. Same idea. Where does that strength come from? Appreciating that God is good. Our hope, putting our hopes in God. I think what's fascinating about this blessing is the context in which it appears. You may have seen different versions of sitters, and you'll notice that the blessings are in different orders. In the Chabad sitter, this is the order that it appears in. But in other sitters, an Ashkenaz sitter, uh, uh, I don't know about this, uh, most likely an Ashkenaz sitter, it's going to appear in a different order. And that's fine. There's different traditions, different customs, there's different explanations as to why. The Chabad Siddur is based on the Kabbalah, the Kabbalistic teachings of the Arizal, of Rabbi Isaac Luria. And the Arizal explains 
that this blessing God gives strength to the weary must come right after the blessing of God who clothes the naked because there's a Kabbalistic sequence. When we've sinned, when we've sinned, when Adam and Eve sinned, why should we take the blame, right? When Adam and Eve sinned, they lost a spiritual garment to the soul. They've experienced shame with the body, and now the garment has to go on the body. So now we do have a spiritual weakness. What's our spiritual weakness? By default, we're more focused on our comfort than on our purpose, or in English, on our animal soul than our divine soul. So right after that, we say, but God, you still are going to give strength to the weary. Strength is still going to come to us because despite, by default, emotionally, we're still focused on our comfort. We still trust in God. We still have hope in God. We still know that that soul is there and that that soul is real. What's the greatest indication that we've gotten this strength? The soul being in charge. But what runs our life is not what is comfortable, but what is true. So I'll tell you a story. There was a Hasidic personality named Hillel Partacher. He's from the town of Partich. Hillel Partacher lived probably uh, 170 years ago, 150 years ago. A lot of good stories about him, but he used to take naps in the daytime for whatever reason. And he would, this, this was before alarm clocks. He said, Okay, I'm going to sleep for a half hour. And I don't know how they would time him, but he would wake up a half hour later, exactly. And they'd ask him, How do you have such a good internal clock? So he said, I've trained myself to be in charge of my body rather than my body being in charge of me. His strength really did come from the soul, really did come from God. And this is what we're trying to develop throughout the process of prayer. One blessing at a time, one step at a time. And we say this every day again and again and again, because we're trying to internalize these messages. That's my story and I'm sticking to it. 